welcome to TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where my panel guests could be asked to discuss any testing topic decided by randomly selected TestSphere cards. I'm your host, Simon Pryor. Let's talk testing. Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where my guests will be discussing random uh, topics around randomly selected TestSphere cards. Uh, I'm joined by two more testing superstars today, which I'll give them a chance to introduce themselves, starting with Christoph. Uh, hello, uh, I'm Christoph van Kliekinge. Uh, I'm currently working as a consultant in Belgium. Uh, my current role is QA chapter lead at Integrity. I manage the QA team there. I do some manual testing, uh, automation, performance, whatever is needed. I'm also a trainer and a coach. Um, I'm a big security enthusiast, and I occasionally do some bug bounty hunting. Um, also a big fan of knowledge sharing. There's never enough, and I'm always eager to learn more. Um, fun fact about myself is that I'm a nerd, and I like to learn fictional and extinct languages. That's kind of me in a nutshell. Excellent. Any particular language you'd like to uh, give us a little bit of now? Dreji Ajantiziksan. It's High Valerian for I am a knight, for example. <laughs> Very good. Very good. And Nicola. Hey, I'm Nicola. I am a senior QA um, QA manager at US2, a digital product studio. I've been working in testing for shy of 10 years. Um, outside of my day-to-day job, I like to be involved in the community by speaking at meetups, conferences, and I also wrote two books, Starting a Software Testing Career, and I, I was a co-author of How Can I Test This? Fun fact about me, I feel like I should say something, <laughs> but I, I feel like Go I'm on. a very boring person. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I recently, getting back into weightlifting, I hadn't stepped foot in the gym since I had our first child two and a half years ago, and I miss being strong. So let's see how this weightlifting journey goes. Fair play. Sounds like a good adventure. Um, excellent. Okay, thank you both. Um, so we'll make a start on the on the episode then. Um, I'm going to spin the wheel for the first time. Are you, are you both ready? Yes. Yep. Okay, I'm spinning the wheel now. And it's landed on interruption, patterns, approach, stop, replay, pause, and begin again. Can your application handle exceptional flows? You're walking in the park and suddenly a Pokemon jumps from behind a tree. You tap it and go in to catch the Pokemon view. Deactivate the screen, make a phone call, and then resume catching it. Hmm. Okay. Any thoughts, either of you? My first thought when you said interruptions, and as you're reading the card, to be honest, was switching networks. So when you go from Wi-Fi to mobile data, for example, if you're leaving your own home or you're leaving your office, I find it interesting to see how different apps cope with that. When what I'm doing is important, I tend to be preemptive and switch to data before I start some sort of action so that I don't have any problems. Um, That's my initial thoughts. 
I would love to hear from someone else. Um, I, I want to bring in like COVID into this and remote working. Like when COVID happened and everybody had to start working remotely, I felt that I was more productive and I noticed that there were like no more interruptions. When somebody basically had like a message for me or asked, wanted me to do something, instead of standing besides my desk, um, they would send me a message and I would read it like 15 minutes later because I'm the I'm like a guy who always says yes. So if somebody needs help, I would always say yes and leave my own stuff hanging basically. Um, so I think interruptions is, is a very nice topic to talk about. Um, yeah, I, I think the remote working is just insane because sometimes when we have to go back to the office right now, I notice that I'm like less productive because there's always people talking about, uh, well, at, at work, they're talking about work, of course, but also about private stuff. And it's an interruption. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I think like we have to work remotely all the time, but I guess everybody's different in, in, in that way of working, I suppose. I noticed at my company when it came to remote work, people's philosophy towards it depended on their home situation. Uh, the people I knew who lived by themselves were more inclined to come to the office when a hybrid model was available because they didn't have much people to speak to at home. So the social aspect I seem, I think was appealing. But then at the same time, I know the ones with young kids, myself and my husband included, it's hard to get stuff done when you have screaming in the background and then your significant other saying, it's fine, it's fine, <laughs> just focus on your meeting. Um, so I actually get, we both get interrupted more at home than we do in the office. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, definitely. Um, being in meetings all day long um, anyway, but then, yeah, um, I definitely feel like it's the evening time where I find I'm most productive at the moment is I'll do a couple of hours work in the evenings because then I won't get interrupted to do stuff. Um, oh, and yeah. the office is yeah. literally because it's one day a week, it's everyone wants to meet for coffee or socialize when you're in the <laughs> office. So you don't get as much done. Um, but going back to the original sort of purpose of the interruptions card, I was just thinking of one of my previous projects where I worked um, on a mobile app um, and uh, it had the tendency that if you were to, swipe up or, or or remove it if you're halfway through something like you're booking something on it and you, you you just switch to another app and come back to it it would have forgotten everything um it wouldn't keep the data there it wouldn't it wouldn't finish the journey for you you know you'd lose everything that you'd already done or if you're halfway through something it'd just go back to the start which you know it's probably just it's it's saving state it's not or not saving state it's not caching anything it's just you know when it's not the priority it, it removes it all but I've experienced that 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 ha there's a lot of apps out there that that don't retain stuff. Um, I think a lot of the day to day ones that I use, you, you you move off them, you do something else, you make a phone call while you're in the middle of doing something, and it either hangs, it it stops. So, you have any experience of putting any of that into your test scenarios? If you were testing something like that, would you would you think about the interruptions to the general flow of the software? I do because. Um... At my current client, they basically have like 
uh, we're building an ethical hacking platform basically for bug bounty uh, hunters. So every time you enter data and you log out, well, or you leave your desktop open, um, you actually have to log out. So all the interruptions that are there and, and like all the data that you've entered is basically gone. Uh, but it's a necessity because of it's a security risk. If you leave your laptop open uh, with some data there, um, yeah, it's not good. And of course, mobile apps, um, same same issue. You have to log them out after a certain amount of time, just for security reasons. I think um, if that's something you're looking for, of course. For me, when it comes to interruptions, as you were saying, I admittedly do tend to think about it for mobile apps because as as you kind of pointed out Simon you tend to be uh, multitasking and you're more likely to be interrupted I am not as good as thinking about those scenarios when it comes to desktop while those scenarios could happen um, I haven't always focused my testing in that area for desktop but I think for mobile app testing, I think these are like mobile specific scenarios that you um, have pointed out. Yeah. So it's at least for me easier to come to mind. Yeah. I mean, looking at the card, there is a there is another thing on there that says what happens when you leave your application alone for a coffee break, a lunch break, a whole night. And that's probably more desktop related stuff. So, yeah, there is definitely there is scope there for, to look at you know, different personas, how people would use the app application. I know one persona we always used to use in one of my previous roles was you had the the power user that was on it all the time and never never off it. And then you have the the maybe the, the elderly person that struggles to use it that will do halfway through and then go away and do something else and come back to it and want to be able to pick up where they left off. And mm. you may have to think about how your software works with that, especially when you may be booking tickets or doing something on an online that banking app where there's a timeout where it times out if it's inactive for more than five minutes or you only have 10 minutes to book your ticket that can sometimes put pressure on people and they they might do things differently so people that want to walk away and come back um yeah um yeah that's that's that, there's just different options there okay um any other thoughts on this card I think it's a hard card. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, didn't start with a nice easy Not one for me. You. <laughs> I'll um, I'll I'll spin the wheel again, and we'll move on to the next one. Are we ready to do the spin? Yeah, sure, sure. Yep. Hoping for a technique. Okay. Here we go. Always and never, heuristics. Exploratory heuristic, look for the keywords always and never in your specifications. Try and break those rules. The name field should never take more than 50 characters. The application should never have any downtime. There should always be at least one document linked to your transaction. Who wants to go first? Nicola? I'm trying to think how to articulate my thought process because this is something I always think of. Okay. But it's kind of so in my subconscious that it's difficult to say, all right, 
when it comes to always or never, I do, I like testing against it because it's quite concrete and absolute. Like it, like proving it wrong or proving it or proving it wrong is, I would admittedly say very easy because you only need to find something once to show that it's wrong. Um, for me, the circumstances under which I have found this sort of heuristic most useful would be, um, as you said, fields. So saying, all right, well, what other instances of this field do we have it in the application? And then in terms of uptime, I don't think I've ever come across a site that expects 100% uptime, at least as part of the service level agreement. 99.99 or some really, really high percentage, but there seems to be a little bit of room for leeway. When I see those sorts of requirements and expectations, I wonder whether or not they've had discussions with people who have had to maintain their system and it's just some sort of ideal. I totally agree about the downtime. It's basically impossible to have 100% uptime. It's, yeah, that's something that never happens, basically. The the 99 percentage is, is more accurate, I suppose, because you have to do a release and maybe you'll be down for like a few seconds or whatever. But yeah, I might totally agree. And for your specifications, I, well, basically, the, the always and never are, are good subjects. I prefer those over normally or it should or, or whatever. Um, that those are just words that testers love. It should or normally. When I hear those those words uh, in in like a, in in a refinement or in a grooming, I just I just lighten up and I'd be like, oh yeah, there's gonna be some bugs there. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that 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 they're terms that enable us to challenge straight away. What are your expectations yeah. here? Um, you know, and talk, and because like like you said, Nicola, maybe it's a statement that's come out of business owners not really understanding the the rule uptime downtime type scenario or or you know the the actual fields and what it actually needs to do there'll, there'll be high level wish lists almost and it really that's where the benefit of having testers involved very early on to challenge that thinking to you know are you sure that's what you want to do you know, we we can test for this and and prove whether it works or not but you know is that really what you want do you want something to always have that level of characters, you know, there will always be exceptions, et cetera, et cetera, and start to talk about those conversations. And it does, it does bring out the the thought process and it does make people think a bit more and articulate them in a, in a better way that makes them less ambiguous. Uh, another thing though, when you are talking about uptime is if you were to ask someone, are you sure that's what you want? I would say the default answer would be yes. Like, why would yeah. we ever want our site to be done? We always want it to be available for customers. And depending on the relationship you have with those, with the people who wrote those requirements and how much credibility you have, yeah. you may have to pull in someone who they say, oh, this person is the one who actually maintains our system. Mm. And they may have more credibility to push for a change in requirement. Uh, when I've had to challenge requirements, I 
I've always had to be quite tactical because I don't ever want to feel like, or I don't ever want to have it come across that I'm insulting someone's intelligence and they do write the requirements with the best of intentions. The thing is they don't, so people don't always think about what it's like to build it. So ideally when you're going over requirements, you would have had someone with a technical background there to have a say as to whether or not this is feasible. Otherwise, you're going to be disappointing people a little bit later down the track where you have to change it after the fact. So in an ideal scenario, you wouldn't be fighting or having discussions about the requirements after the fact because you would have some would have had someone prevent that requirement from being written in the first place. Yeah, but I, I think that's really hard because you need like a business analyst, a functional analyst, and a technical analyst. I mean, those are a lot of roles for for just one refinement for one ticket, basically. It's nearly impossible. I haven't seen it yet in a project. So, but ideally, I would love it. So how how do you approach testing? So we've had the requirements conversation. We've challenged the the requirements. When it comes to the actual testing. What what do you use to identify the scenarios that you need to run in in, in this particular instance? Ooh, um, I delegate those. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it depends on experience, I suppose. Um, it it also depends on the context, but I like to bring out the, the usual test cases, like the required fields and all of that kind of stuff and weird characters. And I also tend to write up uh, edge cases as well. I'm a huge fan of finding edge cases um, because, like today, regular testing is not enough. Regular test cases are not enough anymore. I think um, when, like, since COVID happened, there's been a lot more hackers uh, exploiting all of those edge cases. So we're basically writing down edge cases as well and trying to f- find a solution for those as well. Um, big fan of it and my team is a big fan of it as well uh, even developers they're happy about it so that's pretty weird but all, all good um, so yeah in the past when I am trying to test against these requirements I first try and do a brainstorm to think okay how can I break this or prove this wrong however I found it more effective to bounce ideas off someone so I go, oh, what about this? And they go, oh, no, we've, we've covered that. Oh, what about this? Oh, we've covered that. But by asking the question, I get the person who I'm speaking to to think about ideas, and then you have someone else to bounce ideas off. For me, that has been the most effective way. I'm, I, Well, I do like working alone at times. I find the... I find them much more effective when I have someone to uh, spark some conversation with. I agree. We sometimes do like um, a three amigos session with a developer analyst and tester myself then um, before the the refinement is basically done. And when it's done afterwards, uh, we discuss it with more members of the team and then more members can give their opinions, even developers, more developers, more testers. Um, so yeah, the the sneak peek and the 
talking with other people enlightens ideas with everyone. It's, it's a very good way of finding bugs before it actually, before actually development starts. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with the, um, definitely the communication side is important with this. Um, I'm always one for mind maps and trying to map out, you know, okay, you're saying it's always going to work. Okay. What happens if it doesn't work? And just drawing out those, those line items that say, what if, how, what yeah. do we need to do at that point? Um, and it just helps us build out that picture of, well, okay, we can go back and provide this information to them and say, okay, you said you want it, you wanted us to never allow this in the field. It will never do this. Well, when we do do this, this is what the app does, or this is what the program does. And and suddenly the looks of, but we told you that wasn't a requirement. Well, never mind it not being a requirement. Look what happens. Customers are able to do this. Do we want that re- repercussion of what could happen if they if they do that? And just... Sometimes it puts us on the front foot to be able to, like you said, challenge it, go away and, and test it and come back with the results of, well, you know, you wanted it never to do this. Well, it does do this. So what do we need to do? And it just helps elicit that that further conversation to, to build out the quality better. True. Uh, a, a great question is like, um, when we talk about edge cases, people always used to say like, ah, who, is, who is going to do that? Nobody's going to do that. But then I turned the question to, it's not a question of who is going to do this, but when is this going to occur? Because it's a risk that you have to assess, basically, because at some point it will happen. We've had like a case in, in one of my previous clients where it was an edge case and people were basically taking money and people said, nobody's going to do this. But then we looked in production and three people were doing it. So, yeah, it's it's not a question of who or it's more like when. And yeah, I like it. Good. Uh, any final comments on that card before we move on to the next one? No. Okay. No. I'll spin the wheel again then. Okay. And it's landed on user friendliness, quality aspect. Will users find the product convenient and easy to work with? But more important, will they enjoy it? Some things are intrusive, yet people love them. For example, the Groupon Space Cat logo. This makes your app unique, identifiable, and memorable. So user friendliness. I would say for me, this is very hard to test against because you can easily mistake yourself for a user. So in some instances... I've been on projects where I actually am a user, but then even when I'm on projects where I wouldn't be a customer of the thing we're building, I can't help but over, is this the word, overvalue my opinion on how things are, thinking I'm a user when I'm actually not. Uh, in that case, I, I kind of tie to other heuristics um, like uh, consistency within the app, um, accessibility, to help me with testing about or against, was it user? User friendliness. Use, user friendliness. Because for me, this isn't so tangible. Mm. So I would personally need quite a bit of help to actually provide value. Um, a nice trick that we, we sometimes do is we isolate one tester. So there is a refinement and there's one, let's say it's called tester B. He's not there and he doesn't get to see 
um, the refinement or the product in development. And at some point when the product's done and arrives on QA, um, tester A would test it, but tester B would also test it, basically just to see if he can understand it from the requirements. I know it's a bit late, but it's always a nice thing. And um, one of my projects, we we basically took our laptops, went into the hallway, went to like other clients and said like, could you, do you have more five minutes? And then like, we, we told them like, hey, can you create a customer in, in our app here or, or whatever? And if they can do it, then it's fine. Um, that's a, I mean, it only takes five minutes. You have to obviously have to find someone who wants to do it. Um, but yeah, it's sometimes it's as simple as that because you're only your eyes and you know how it's supposed to be made. You can still make assumptions, which we shouldn't. So yeah, just a simple test. Walk, walk away, take your laptop, find someone, ask them to do it, see if it works. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it, the thing with user-friendliness is very subjective. You can have your own opinions on whether something is user-friendly or not. But again, looking at different personas, different people, people with different needs. So looking at the accessibility side as well, something that's user-friendly for one person is the worst thing in the world to another. Um, True. So being able to identify how you test for different scenarios is, is quite a tricky one. Uh, one example I've got is... Um, uh, Going back a few years now, I, I was developing, I was a developer at the time, and I was developing a, um, a children's programming tutor tool at the time. And for some reason, the, the, the company I was working with, they hadn't thought to actually engage children on whether the user interface was friendly for them or not. So I just suggested, can we just go to a local school with a POC or a demo of it, talk to them about what we're doing, and get them to have a go and see how they use it, what they like, what they didn't like. And we spent a day in the end in the school walking through it. Um, and the feedback was, you know, actually there's some bits that were really that the kids seemed to really like, other bits they didn't. And 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 really that's the that's the one example I have always sort of used for user friendliness is we have to have our target audience involved and make sure that they are they are part of that process, whether they be you know, a couple of end users in for user acceptance testing or whatever the process is within the within the organization. But let's engage them, let's bring them in, let's let's have them work through it with us to ensure that we are actually um, working with our, our our end users and and giving them the best quality product we can. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's really the the key thing there. Um, just looking at what what else is on the card. What makes an app attractive? Speed, ease of use, reliability. What are, what are the most important features available in the middle of your screen? Have your app eye track tested and find out whether people easily find what they're looking for. I've never had a app basically eye tested before, um, but the what makes an app attractive? I suppose it's. Um, well, it's different for all for all people, of course. But like you have the usual stuff, to, like you said, speed, ease of use, reliability. Those are like one of the most common things because if you click on a website in Google and it doesn't load in three seconds, you go back and you click on the next one. It's pretty obvious. Um, but then there's the, there's other stuff that attracts stuff to people, um, like for a, a very stupid example, dark theme in applications. It's nothing crucial, but 
if your audience is is a developer set or, or testers, they might love Dark. I love Dark Team. I've made decisions where they said like uh, write down pros and cons, and I've written down pros Dark Team. So, I mean that's that it's ridiculous, but yeah, it's it's one of those nice things that makes like an app appealing, and because you have that better feeling because it has Dark Team, you're more obliged to take that app compared to the other one which doesn't have it even though the other one might have better features um so yeah it, it can be stupid but it works when testing against this card or using this card when you say ease of use i also start to think about user experience and i have found jakob nielsen's 10 usability heuristics to be extremely useful here I don't actually remember all of them off by heart. I do have to constantly Google it. But the few ones I do know off by heart uh, would be very useful. For example, consistency across the application, um, feedback around current system status. I think this all helps for something to be user... Friendliness. Friendliness. (laughs) (laughs) Some mouthing (laughs) towards you guys. (laughs) You know, uh, again, I I have to go back to something concrete. And this was a heuristic I came across early on in my career. And I have kept on going back to it, even when I haven't been explicitly asked to. So it's a good list, actually. I I mean, I'll try, I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. Um, Yeah be a worth thing, worthy thing to share with people absolutely yeah and, and like i like to, it. And i think this user friendliness topic it does like you say lead into usability user experience accessibility there's lots of things that all play into whether something is user friendly but you can't get away from the fact that it's very subjective based on the individual um so yeah a bit of a tricky one to be able to identify how to test with okay um well given this is my last episode I think we should do one more card. Is Would that be good? Sure. Yeah? Okay. Yep. I'm going to spin the wheel one more time then. Okay. And it's landed on adventurous feelings. Positive feeling, the feeling when you want to explore something new or go to new depths that you've never been to before. Try out a new tool to enhance your testing. Go have lunch with a key user you don't talk to that often. Explore a level of the application you haven't tested before, such as the database layer, the API, or dive right into the code. So I think that's... who's going to start? I'll start. I don't mind. Uh, I'm pretty adventurous in... in... In the testing world, if I can say it like that, I've always I'm always trying new frameworks and new techniques, and always searching for basically ways to break an application. Um, recently, I've been learning about chaos engineering. It's basically destroying stuff um, so you can see it recovers. A huge myth about it is that it's done in production and only in production. That's not true. You can just do it in your test environment as well. Um, it's pretty ballsy to do it in, in production, but it's not always necessary. But yeah, learning new stuff. Um, like I said in my introduction, I'm always eager to learn new stuff. I'm always adventurous. Um, meetups, um, 
conferences, whatever works, reading blogs, I would advise to do it all because you're not, even if you learn one small thing, it's, it's a win for you, even if it's very small and you might discover new bugs in your application as well. Yeah, totally agree. Nicola, any thoughts? I like to try new things on projects and experiment. And like Christoph, I read blogs um, and I like to hear about other ideas on how to approach testing. I'm struggling with this question because I'm struggling to see the difference between experimentation and being adventurous. So I, I, I don't have much to add. I'm sorry. No, I mean, that's, that's fair. I mean, I mean, experimentation could be seen as a form of being adventurous, I guess. Um, it's, it's weird though. Cause when you say adventurous, I think about being outside your comfort zone and I've true. become so used to trying new things. Mm. It doesn't feel adventurous to me. It's how I am. Yeah. Um, so for me, being adventurous would be writing test cases <laughs> on a test tracking tool <laughs> because, because that's not me. Like that's not how, um, yeah, that's not how I've been doing things for for quite a while now. So my interpretation of this card is maybe a little bit skewed. And that's, that's, and, and, and that's sometimes the beauty of, of having these discussions is everyone interprets these cards differently. Um, my first thought is, um, and coming from an experience where before I found the community, the way we tested internally, we thought was the only way we could test. Um, and there were still people in the company years after I left that still believed that was the only way to do things. Um, and going into new companies and saying, hey, have you heard of the Ministry of Testing? And they're like, what? No, what's that? And it's just, you know, opening people's eyes to there's more out there, learning stuff, try things out, do new tools. Um, because they were so refined to manually testing, using their test tracker, uh, test case tracking tool to log every step of the 25, 30 step test cases and, and reporting back on whether they're passing and failing and that being their world. Um, that my idea of adventurous is, hey, let's try exploratory testing. Let's 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 try and look at some performance test tools that we could use to increase our test coverage. Um, but you're right, advent being adventurous can mean different things to different people depending on the way they they do things within their own comfort zone. So it's just yeah, you're right. It's um it's again another subjective one. True. I'm not the biggest fan of subjective. <laughs> you might be able to tell by the expressions that we have or that you've seen on my face the past uh, half hour or so. Good. Christoph, any final thoughts on that one? Um, no. No. I think I think what you said was correct. Like, adventurous means for me something else than for Nicola, and that's fine. Um, everybody has his own point of view. So, Indeed. All right. Well, thank you for indulging me in talking about those cards. Um, did you? Ha did either of you have anything to plug? Uh, obviously, Nicola, you mentioned the books. Did you want to talk a bit more about the books and anything else you're doing? The books I've written are ones I would like to recommend. I feel so weird about plugging things. <laughs> uh, so starting a software testing career um, is a book for people who are new to testing but also who are early on in the career or who'd like to upskill and they've got, say, five or ten years up their sleeve. I talk a bit about how to find your first job as a software tester, like breaking into a field, uh, even if you don't have um, IT experience. 
talk a bit about definitions, um, test automation, implicit requirements, how to prevent bugs, a lot of, I like to think, useful things. The second book is one that I'm a co-author of, How Can I Test This? And this is a book full of examples where you see how can you actually test different types of applications, uh, microservices, uh, mobile apps, uh, desktop websites, booking booking websites. Uh, one thing I've found is it's hard to find concrete examples of how you'd actually approach problems. So I thought it was nice to have a book written by multiple authors to see how can you actually tackle this. And even if you don't find yourself on a project that is very similar to a chapter in the book, it should help trigger some ideas. So we also cover heuristics. We, I, I'm not sure if we cover the all, always or never heuristic that we went over earlier, but we do have uh, heuristics from Lena Webes, uh, Hood Heuristic, um, and some heuristics for API testing. So if, you, if what I have said the past minute sounds appealing to you, then check out the books that will be in the show notes. Hey, Simon. They will, they will indeed, definitely. I, would, I wouldn't forget those. And I work with Suman Bala, who's one of the uh, co-authors. So I've already heard all the excitement about the book. So I, I will I will make sure I find a copy and read it. Sure. I don't mean to sound a bit passive-aggressive. I was trying to make it in a joking <laughs> yeah, manner, but it sounded passive. I'm sorry about no, no, that. No, it didn't at all. Don't worry, it didn't. Um, anything else you're doing? Conference talks? Anything else? I am speaking at two conferences in September. One is Sunday in Bratislava and one in Malmö. Yep. Both are in September. Cool. But other than that, I'll be laying low and just enjoying writing. Absolutely. Fair <laughs> play for that. Christoph, anything from you? I, I didn't write any books, so I can't <laughs> recommend them. <laughs> Um, no talks, no upcoming talks. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn, feel free. Um, always happy to spar about testing and whatever that is needed to break down applications. So hit me up and I'll be your sparing partner. Cool. Excellent. Um, so yeah, I guess that leads me to the final announcement is, as I mentioned a bit earlier, I am, um, this is my last episode hosting Test Fear Roulette. We have identified a new host. Um, and it's Christoph. You've, you've happily accepted to take on the baton. Um, of course, I'll still help behind the scenes and try and yes. get guests and stuff, and and do some of the social media stuff to get it get it published and, and what have you. But yeah, thank you for picking up the baton. I think this has been a, a no useful problem. exercise for me to get to speak to some more people in the community, get to learn how different people test, how people uh, think about ideas. Um, and I look forward to listening to the future episodes and, and seeing how it continues. So no pressure, but um, I've enjoyed yeah, these first okay. 10 episodes. I'd like, I'd like to enjoy the next 10 as well. <laughs> perfect, perfect. You're just setting expectations. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but yeah, ah, it's all fine. I really enjoyed this. Um, I will still be around on the Ministry of Testing circuit. I'm speaking at Test Bash in September. So yes, I will be, be around. But thank you, Christoph, for picking it up. And thank you, Nicola, no Christoph, for being guest today. And uh, hopefully there'll be some more episodes in the near future. Thank you for having us. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for having us, indeed. Bye. Bye.
thank you to the guests and thank you for listening. For more information on TestFear, check out riskstormingonline.com or buy the card decks from the Ministry of Testing store. Music courtesy of zapsplat.com. We'll see you for more roulette again soon.